Welcome back, listeners, for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. We're back for another great conversation with a Georgia teacher today that I think you'll all enjoy. Before we get to that conversation, I just want to encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues who might be interested. And if you can take a moment to leave a review, I would really appreciate it. And now without further delay, let's get to today's conversation. We are joined by Gloria Gardner. Hello, Gloria. Hi. Let's get started with just a background question. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay, um, I am Gloria. I live in Macon, Georgia, and I teach special education in the state of Georgia. I'm a certified teacher. I am originally from South Korea, and I have lived in the United States for over three decades. And I basically went to school here, got my bachelor's, master's, and doctorate um, in education. I have been teaching for 24 plus half years. And I'm married to my husband, Michael, who is a professional musician. That he plays pianos and he's a church organist. And he and I have a common when we're dating, that's music. So we play together at the church. He plays um, piano and then I play violin. And you get to hear about my musical journey, about my violin learning experience. And Michael and I created a nonprofit music school called Greenwood School of Music here in Macon. We have started with the four teachers with 12 students when we started. Now we have about five employees and over 30 plus students. And of course, numbers fluctuate. Because of that music school we created for the, our community, uh, Michael and I have an interest in music. So that's how I got involved with the professional music organization in, in Macon area. And I love to have fun with music, but I do not teach music at the school. Like I said, I work with the students with disabilities in all academic field. Great, thank you for that. Can we back up? Just tell me about how you got into music. You mentioned very briefly that you play violin. How did you get started in violin? Not by my choice, because, you know, as many kids, when they're young, the parents want the children to play the instrument. So my mother, who's been a big influence on my music uh, study, when I was young, like, a, you know, real young elementary age, she told me that she took me and my brother to take some music lessons. And the teacher at that time says that, I needed to continue where my brother probably doesn't have to, but he got exposed to it. So it was basically my mother told me that I needed to take the lessons. So I did for very few years. Now, did I like it at the time? No, I didn't. I absolutely did not like to practice. But the teacher said I have a you know some kind of skills that I can work on and I would be good at it if I continue. So I basically did it for a few years as a child and that gave me the foundation of learning the music, reading the notes. 
and I went through Suzuki uh, back in South Korea. Great, thank you for that. Do you have a favorite memory of your teachers that you can share with us? I do have a lot, but um, because you know I play violin and playing the violin involves with a muscle memory. So one one day during the lesson, you know, sometimes it doesn't work with whatever teacher tell you to do. My fingers and hands don't cooperate. So she asked me, how do you feed yourself? And I said, what do you mean? How do I feed myself? She asked me basically, do I, do you need a mirror to feed yourself? Because you don't, you know, when you scoop your food, do you put your food to your nose what do you take it to your eyes or ears well how do you do that so I said well I take it to my mouth I know what am I doing and I don't need to have a mirror and she said well how why do you think that you don't need a mirror and I said because I've been doing all my life ever since I learned to feed myself so then she told me that um, it's the same concept that uh, Playing the violin involves with a muscle memory that I need to practice every day so I don't have to look at my fingers where my fingers need to go. Mm-hmm. So ever since I, you know, I thought about it and thought about it and it makes sense. And I will never forget that. Just like, you know, you think about um, how you feed yourself. I work with uh, some children uh, who have some vision impairment and blindness. They don't look, they can't see themselves, but they know how to feed. Mm-hmm. So it is the same concept. So I, I would, that's my favorite memories. Great. You know, it's interesting listening to your story. It sounds like you started violin as a child. Uh, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, that you left it um, for several years and now you're coming back to it, taking lessons as an adult. Is that correct? It is correct. I think that um, I took the lessons when I was first, second, third, that early part of elementary. Then I stopped and there are reasons, part of that is it was getting harder. And, you know, practicing is a, it was a big job and I didn't want to practice. And my mama basically made me practice. And the academic classes took, you know, a lot of my time in middle school years. So I stopped and I went back to take lessons um, 35 years later. And the reason is when we started the music school, we offer a string lessons. So my mother basically saying, why don't you take start the lessons? And I said, my answer is of course not because as an adult, in a, I'm busy, I got things to do. That was my answer. So I didn't bother even when she suggested that. Then what happened was, Back then, Macon has a youth orchestra. They offer the instrument petting zoo where the students can come and it's a, it was family event. They can come and pet the instruments means trying out different instruments to see if you like it. So we just started the music school back in 2013. So I went to that event just to see what was it like. And I started petting the instrument. I tried flute and I couldn't make any sound. And I tried violin just because I wanted to see if I remember something. And surprisingly, I did remember about how to play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, which mm-hmm. is the open string and few fingers. So I told my mother about it. And so she started 
encouraging or nagging me again that I needed to take the lessons again with since we have a music school. So that's what I did. I was already past 40 plus years old and it's been 35 years later. So, but surprisingly, when I studied lessons with a teacher back then, I remember the tune of the, some of the Suzuki pieces I played. I didn't necessarily remember everything, but it was slowly coming back for some reason. I already know how to read the notes, basics of it. How is it different taking lessons the second time around versus when you were a child? Well, you know, as a child, your parents paid the fee. They were paid for your lessons. As an adult, you're the one who paid for it. So you have, first, you have to make your money worth it. Since you don't want to waste your money, it makes you want to practice and do better with it. And other thing is that there are some challenges there because adults, you, you have a life, you know, work life, career, and your family life time, you know, you have to really discipline yourself to look for time to practice. So that's the biggest difference and compared to the lessons when I took as a child. So how do you find time to practice as an adult um, in your busy schedule and as a professional? For several years, I just did whenever I can practice. And then every year I since I started, I thought to myself, I need to have a goal. So each year I set the goal that I would try to find the time. Several years I did it because I had to do it instead of the enjoyment because I didn't want to go to lessons, not prepare and get embarrassed and just feel like it's a waste of time. But at each year I set the goal. That goal was, I don't know if you're familiar with the event, National Federation Music Club Festival. I entered myself as a student, and then I was running the event at the same time. So in order to do that, if there was a goal there, my annual goal that I want to do that, my motivation was, um, you, since you're familiar with it, they, there's a cup there that you get to have. I wanted that cup, and that looked so cool to me back then. I thought, that would be nice if I can get that big, nice gold cup. I know those get a silver cup, but I requested a gold cup like a child. I memorized the piece and because of the Suzuki method, I was pretty good with the memorization. Mm-hmm. And I entered myself uh, three, four years and solo event and concerto event. So that was my, because that's a goal, I had to do it. And, and I was running an event and I didn't want to you know, embarrass myself and not back out. So I did that. And now it's been several years I've been taking lessons. I enjoy it. I would say I would I enjoy it. I was surprised myself that I stick with it this long. And you know, I come to uh, I work at school, and I even tell my students in the classroom that's what I do for my hobby. And I come home and practice, but it's not like a chore anymore like it used to be. I mean, when I was a kid. My mother would tell me that I, I need to practice each day. She had a set schedule that I had to practice it in daily, including the summer. Mm. Now, you know, I just come home and, and unless I'm exhausted, but most of days practicing does not bother me like how it was. It's like more therapeutic experience 
that mm-hmm. I had a long day in the classroom with the students and it's just more fun to practice. What are some challenges you have encountered as a musician? The challenges is that because I don't, you know, I'm, I started later and lack of time to practice. You know, if I started earlier, I probably had progress you know, quicker and my fingers probably have, you know, the flexibility of my fingers would be better, but because you know, I studied later, it is harder, you know, physically. What advice do you have for parents who have children taking lessons? How can they encourage and help them to succeed? And what role do parents play in a child's musical development? You know, they, the kids at that age, they don't know why they're taking the lessons. Just like I didn't know. I mean, I just went there. But my mother was very encouraging and taking the lessons can be, it's a lot of commitment. But my mother always say commitment and consistency is what it counts. The kids may not make a lot of progress at that time, but if you're consistent and you're committed to the lessons and attend attend your weekly lessons and practice as much as you they can and I will get there and you know speaking of my mother who is about mid-70s she still keeps up with my weekly lessons and then she keeps up with my repertoire what I'm what I am learning and I talk to my um, parents once a week or every, you know, a couple of times a week but that they always ask she always asks, did you go to lesson this week or what did you learn is it something fun or, you know, she knows what I've been, I am working on, even techniques. You know, she may not know all, everything about it, but at least she pays attention to what I do. It sounds like she herself must have had an interest and a love for music. Is that true? It is. She, um, when I was growing up, we had a piano at home and she plays some and she did some, um, classical music, she sang for community choir. Mm-hmm. And she always think this way that if I was a professional musician, like if you major in violin or piano or whatever instrument, people expect you to play. They know that you should know how to play. But my field is not, I am a special education teacher, something totally different than music. And then, but I just do music for you know, fun and enjoyment. However, I do have a goal each year that I wanted to move up to the next level of playing, not just, just because it's a hobby, that doesn't mean that you have to stay in the same level every year. Mm-hmm. And she thinks that it makes me extra special and unique and also inspire other adult students to continue study music or even the children. They may not major in music, but they can always keep that as a lifetime gift. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can be an engineer or you can be a doctor, but you can, if you know how to play the piano or violin, whatever instrument, you can play for your local, your work-related holiday party. Do you ever play for your mother now? My husband and I, sometimes I practice, we record, we send it to her through the phone and she gives me some feedback. And then this summer when I went home, I took my instruments because I bought the 
new nice instrument. So she said that, well, since you brought it, you got to pray for me. So that's what I did during the summer. Wow, that sounds very special. I like that. Tell me about some of the biggest teaching challenges you have faced and how did you overcome them? Um, like I said, I don't teach music. However, um, you know, me as a teacher in the classroom, and then I see some of our music teachers at the music school. Biggest challenge that I see from them is that we take all kinds of students level. That means students with uh, not just average students, even students with a special needs students, they come through us and we offer music therapy program as well too. What I think is the, the biggest challenge is that some of them have difficulty to meet the, the needs of different types of students. You as a musician probably know that just because you're a good performer doesn't mean that you know how to teaching and performing are not the same thing. They're different. And meeting this student's need in various uh, learning needs can be challenging. And I've seen, I don't know how other instruments do, but I've seen a lot of piano teachers, they have method books that they follow. That method book may not work well for some students. And some do, some don't. My biggest thing about um, the teaching is differentiation that we use in our, in our classroom that we provide whatever the content we teach according to the student's level and ability. And if we have to, we make, we even produce the materials. Mm -hmm. So in, even in the private teaching, that can be possible. Instead of using the same method of books, the teachers can you know, do research, find some different songs. For example, we have students who wanted to play certain you know, classical piece, but the students level is not there to play the original. So we find the, something that's close to his level, different arrangements. So he can still play the same, the classical piece, but different arrangement and he can still meet that same goal that that's my thing I am all about differentiating making it work for everyone even though they may not get there perfectly but it gives them access and opportunities I yeah. guess that came from my special education background yeah, since you are a special education um, teacher, I was wondering if I could pick your brains on that. What advice do you have for teachers in working with students with special needs? And I'm thinking specifically in my own past, working especially with kids with ADHD, uh, are there modifications or adjustments that we can make in our teaching so that it can be successful for a student? Yes. First thing is that a lot of special needs kids, they love music. They do. It depends on what kind of disability they got. They love music and art. And it depends on how their ADHD is. It, you know, they have different kinds of ADHD and they, whether they're on the medication or not. When we have some special needs kids, I ask them what they want to do first. I wouldn't use the method book all the time. And a lot of these piano method books, I looked at it and a lot of them comes with classical pieces, which most of our students are not 
familiar with where they are not exposed to classical piece and it bores them. Mm-hmm. But I would focus on the skill level and some students don't have certain skills yet then I go back to the prerequisite skills to get to that skill level. So, you know, if you wanna play, I wouldn't, I guess that's why it's important for the teachers to know how to assess the students. Some students don't have it. There are some specialized students where students in general may have a gap there. You know, if they transfer from somebody else, then they may have a gap in some theory or techniques or whichever. But if, um, even if they are starting from with, with you or with whoever, depending on their life experience, there's a gap. Instead of focusing on a song, I would focus on the skills. And if the student doesn't have that certain skill, then I would go back for the prerequisite skills and start small step at one time. Break into the big step. I mean, look at the big task and break into the smaller task and move slowly. Great, thank you for that. I appreciate that advice. Tell me about your time in GMTA. How did you hear about the organization and what has being part of this organization meant to you? One of the presidents back then, I went to church with her and she invited me to join the organization. That's back, that's when we started our music school very first year. So we thought that, okay, we'll just join. And then it has been a blessing for us because we get to meet other um, local music teachers here and they have given us some professional advice. And we've been participating in making music teachers, whatever the activity they host. And we we host their meetings and we participate there events such as honor recitals or master class, whatever the workshop they offer. And we're not just a professional organization, but we develop personal relationship, which is friendship. Some of them are my Facebook friends and we just like to hang out together and visit each other and just became friends. Mm -hmm. They're not just music organization to us, they're just friends in general. Yeah. This is going to be our very last question. What advice would you give to young pre-collegiate musicians about a life with music? First, I want them to be open-minded because the today's music is it's not like how I, it was. I grew up with the classical pieces, it, but I teach my students at the school, they listen all kinds of everything. And even at our music school, we see some students they don't want to do classical piece. I know most of the students at the college, they're classically trained, many of them are, and they don't want to, but the students that come to learn to take pianos or whatever instrument, they're not exposed to classical music. So I want the um, pre-college students to be more open-minded and talk to students where what they want to do with it. But Foundation learning to read the music and that's all same. Be open-minded. And the second advice I can give is give every opportunity to your students, even the little ones. We get some students like three, four years old. And I've seen some teachers 
turn them down because their dexterity of fingers are not ready yet. Well, no, and that's true. They are not ready, but parents enroll those young children to music, not only to learn the music. Music can incorporate other academic skills. I remember one parent enrolled her four-year-old with us, and she told me that she did not, she does not expect her to play Beethoven or Bach in a few years, but she expected her to learn to follow directions and listening skill and you know, early math skills, early reading skills, and just basic life skills. Mm-hmm. So the teachers need to understand that teaching music is not just teaching them how to play the instrument. It goes with other academic and life skills. I know I said that was the last question, but just this past question and your answer prompted another follow-up question in me, which is considering that you started music and then you quit music and now you're back to music, do you think there is anything that could have been done differently in your youth so that you could have continued in um, music through, through all of your upbringing, perhaps uh, maybe exposure to non-classical music, like what you were just talking about, would have encouraged you to continue. Do you think that might have changed the outcome? I thought about continuing music, even my parents have thought about it, but it's just highly competitive in, in Southeast Asia. You probably are familiar with it. Very, very competitive. And I didn't want to go through all this stress, but uh, I could have done more exposure to it. But then academic classes take a lot of pressure. Mm. And I don't know, I would have the decision that when I, when my parents made back in early part of my life, that probably is a better decision for me. Mm. Because if I did continue the stress level and I even thought about attending magnet school over there but it's extremely competitive Mm. and to me I think this is better Mm. and I I enjoy it than doing it as a job I mean I I enjoy my job too but it's different types of enjoyment yeah so in other words you're glad for how your life turned out yes That's great. Not everyone can say that. So I'm so glad to hear you say that. Well, Gloria, this has been a delightful conversation and a very unique conversation. Thank you for your perspective. Thank you for sharing your life story with us. And thank you for your love for music. Uh, The fact that you're willing to return to it as an adult learner is truly special and encouraging to us as music teachers to know that the young kids that we are teaching um, might not become professional musicians, but might return to it with a deep love as adults. With that, I thank you for your time. And I hope that our listeners will enjoy this conversation as much as I have. I wish you happy teaching and happy students.